The word of God is Jesus Christ. It is my weapon because it is infallible. This word slays sickness. This word defeats demons. This word eradicates hidden faults, deliberate sin, transgressions, and abomination. My Bible is the ultimate truth. This truth invades the darkness and exposes weakness, lies, cowardice, and doubt. My Bible injects hope. You're trailing off. Wait, stop, stop. Come on, let's say it with authority. Start with my Bible. My Bible injects hope love and trust into my insecurities, demanding that I raise my level of expectation. It assures me that my Lord guarantees that I will triumph over all the forces in this world arrayed against me because he is the God of the angel army. Say it strong. I conquer, I see results, I overcome because of my Bible. Amen. Lord, we look to you right now, Father. We thank you for your divine um, revelation, Lord. We thank you for um, your, your, your word, Lord, that doesn't fail, that speaks beyond the time frame that we're in. We thank you, Father, for our future. We thank you for understanding, Lord. Open the ears of your people now, Lord. Open their ears, their hearts, Lord, that they may hear and understand. Open me up, Lord. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, bind up every distraction, anything that distracts us, God, anything that distracts us, Lord, bind it up right now and focus us in on you, on you, Lord, that we would have a God encounter at this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, hello, everyone. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Um, let's turn in your word. Is it not working, sir? Oh, okay. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, we didn't have it up before. Okay, let's look to our word. Now, I'm, uh, how many of you guys were here last week? We did um, What Does Worship Look Like, okay? So it's been very interesting since we started the worship segment because we have been worshiping. Um, and so we did part one, What Does Worship Look Like, a couple weeks ago, and then Pastor Kyan um, came last week, and uh, she, did, she echoed a lot of what we said. I didn't realize it. Stephanie actually uh, brought it to my attention that... Um, that we talked about God encounters. We talked about um, worship stems from God encounters. And then when Pastor Kai came, she, she, God gave her a song about encountering God. Amen. So this week, we're going to pick back up and we're going to talk, we're going to, to, to challenge ourselves. Um, I just, I'll do a quick review of last week, but um, go ahead and listen to that message. But we ended with um, having conversations with God, having conversations with God. Because one thing that we did, we did say is that worship transcends singing at church for 30 minutes. A lot of us have defined worship as a 30 minute singing before the service and then it gets us pumped up and then after we get pumped up, then we hear a word and we give and we say hi to people and we leave. Um, but worship is so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger than that and it requires so much more than that. So to define worship is worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, okay? So for Christians, who do we serve? We serve the Lord Jesus Christ and worship is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so worship has to look like a lifestyle. Worship cannot be, um, it cannot be based on a song or our genre of song, okay? Because a lot of people like gospel music and a lot of people like CCM and a lot of people like CCM if they redo it and make it sound like 
write gospel or if they put a little drum beat. Some people like bass, more bass on theirs, and some people like a guitar. And I only like acoustic worship, and I like uh, acapella worship. And so everybody has their definition of worship, but worship transcends music. It is so much deeper than that. Worship is a lifestyle, and we can't worship unless we know how to encounter God, unless we know how to be with him, unless we know how to live with him. So it is the feeling or expression, how we express that. So it has to be more than expressing it in sun, one time a week in the morning from 9 to 9.30 before the word or 10 to 10.30, whatever time a service field starts or a Saturday night. Worship has to go into our daily expression, our daily lifestyle. Are you with me on that? Okay. So it's not what we do, but it's who we are. Say worship is not what I do. Worship is who I am. Okay, so let's ask some questions. So do we know who the Lord is? Because if we don't know who he is, then we don't have an understanding of what worship is, okay? So we have to understand who is God. We have to understand that his, his, his character is too big for one word. And so a lot of times we use the word God or we use the word Lord, but we have to understand that his name supersedes just that. And so you could go all throughout scripture and you see the various names of God, or you may see in scripture that someone had an encounter with God. And based on that encounter, they gave God a new name. And so we have the different names of God, which we've gone over before. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah my peace, Jehovah Rapha. So one minute he's my healer, the next minute he's my warrior, then he's my sal salvation, and then he is my peace. And so whatever we experience, that encounter will demand a new phase of God, okay? So if we might under we might look in the, um, in the prophet Isaiah, and he said he's the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. So do we know who he is, and do we live it? Do we make up our own worship methods? So remember, um, I've, I've heard people say, well, I don't like to lift my hands. That's not me, so I don't do that. But we have to look at what the Bible says. The Bible gives general instructions, but it also tells us that we live it, okay? So the Bible says, lift up your hands, enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Open up and say he is the Lord. Shout with the voice of triumph. And so the word gives us some basic instructions for how we do it corporately. Um, I, was, I was loving, I was talking to Pastor Daryl last night, and I I was reading Habakkuk, and in the amplified version of Habakkuk, it starts off um, chapter three, because as you can tell, he's mentioned Habakkuk three like a million times, and we were, we were like talking about that last night, but it says, this is for the body, this is for the corporate, then it says, this, I love it because in, um, uh, 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 we'll go back down to Habakkuk in a minute, but one in, the trans in one of the translations, I believe it's amplified, it says, this song is set to wild, enthusiastic music, and so I said, oh, I love it because you will see in the book, Book of Psalms, the 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 the, the uh, divisions of the Book of Psalms. Some will say to this is set to instruments. This is it'll tell you who wrote the song, and so they're set up as songs. And so um, the Amplified in Habakkuk three one. We'll go back to it. You don't have to turn there, but it says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet set to wild, enthusiastic, and triumphal music. And so sometimes it is music, and sometimes God will teach us how to. He will tell us how to respond, but then He tells us beyond that. It is a lifestyle, and so we look at the conversation. So last the last time we talked about worship what does worship look like we talked about the conversations that you have and so there are two conversations that are going on one is with the enemy where the enemy is walking with you and he's talking to you and he's trying to get you to give him your worship and then the other one is with God where God walks on you so we have the one conversation with the enemy is in the first person okay and then when we have conversations with God it is in the third person and so what God says to you he said he, when God talks to you he says you are my child you 
you are can do victorious. You are this. You are that. And when Satan talks to you, Satan wants to describe. Satan wants to. He wants to hide himself in the conversation. And so what he'll say is, you talk to yourself in the eye voice. Well, I probably have cancer, and I probably won't succeed, and I this and I that because he wants to get into your psyche and he wants to invade your mind and he wants you to think that it's you saying it and when you say it it sounds more powerful and our words have power and so it says as a man thinketh so is he okay because when we say it so when we're thinking it well I probably will fail anyway or I might as well just go ahead and do it because I've already messed up or I you know God doesn't want to talk to me why am I going to go worship why am I going to go to church they're not going to do nothing oh it's boring this thing and that so I I I and God is saying no I created you so I don't talk to you in the first person I talk to you in the third person because I know more about you than you know yourself okay so when we try to do I I am I am I am I am I am I am what is what is the word I'm looking for I am finite okay God is infinite we are finite God is infinite God goes on he knows the first and the last he knows the end from the beginning he knows all things and so it's think of your life as a timeline and we're stuck on this one little section right here and we're all consumed with right here and God is saying I am outside of your finite time period and I go beyond time so I look at you and I say you have to push through this you have to endure because you have a future and a calling it is down here you have to keep going and so I have these conversations with God. And so I love it in that scripture that we just had up. I'm sorry, I didn't go to it, Nicole. Matthew 4, 9 through 10, that say, Jesus is in the middle of a fast. And don't think when you're fasting that the Satan won't roll up on you. He actually came even harder during the fast. And so he was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And so the Satan, Jesus was hungry. His flesh was crying out. And Satan said, look at all this. Look at all those splendors down there. He showed him the lights from the city. He showed him a car. He showed him food. He showed him all of these things. And he said, I will give it to you if you give me something in return. I want your worship. Did we understand that worship is so valuable that Satan was willing to give up everything in the world for worship? Okay, for worship. And so Satan's walking with you. I will give it to you. I'll give it to you. Just give me your worship. I want your worship. And then we understand Jesus hits him back with the word. And he says, no, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God. And do what? Serve him only. Give him your worship with your life. And so Satan walks with you and tells these things. And it's so, I, I love it if you can see the visual. Um, um, one of the words, which we're going to go to later, one of the words for a prophet that the commentary said, which I thought it was phenomenal, it says that the prophets were poet prophets, okay? Poet prophets because they had to describe and elaborate and bring life to the words that they speak to people. So they were like poet prophets. So a lot of times when you're reading the major prophets or the minor prophets, you really see a picture being given to you. They say you, uh, you really see it a lot with Ezekiel. And of course you see it with Isaiah who, was, who taught the school of the prophets. But Ezekiel will say, and I saw the dry bones and I went into the valley and I saw all these dead bones and they were dried. I mean, he paints the picture so vividly and then he said and then I heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind and so they were poet prophets where they had to bring to life the words they were speaking so that you could get it so that you could see it so that you can imagine being right there with it and so so Satan has these conversations with you walking alongside of you asking you for your worship and Thessalonians says that he desires to sit in the temple of God showing himself as God and you are that temple he wants to get inside of your life and show himself as king and that's 
why he speaks in the first person. But after he leaves you, where else is he simultaneously? It says that Satan, if you look in the book of Revelation, it says that Satan is in the presence of God calling you out. He is accusing the brethren. He is accusing those that are called by God. He is accusing worshipers. And so he stands in front of God's throne, and, and I see it as I see it as, um, uh, as, a, as a courtroom. And so God is sitting at his throne, and you have Jesus on one side and, and Satan on the other. And so Satan is constantly accusing, is constantly pulling out. And this is what I this is what is so interesting. He's probably telling truthful things. I'm sure he is. And so and so he sits there and, and, and talks about what you've done. So one minute he walks with you and says, give me your worship. Give me your worship. He's demanding that you give, give him your worship. And then he leaves you and goes in the presence of God. But they did this wrong and they did that wrong and they did this wrong. And then he goes into the presence of God. They did that wrong. They did that wrong. And then he goes and he tries to taunt you. Give me your worship. Give me your worship. I'll give you anything you want. Give me your worship. And then he goes in front of God. Well, they're not worth anything. So if we're not worth anything and if you want God to discredit us and disown it, why do you want my worship? Why do you want to say, why are you so after me bowing down and worship you, worshiping you if you are always in front of God's presence accusing me? That doesn't even make sense. If you're always accusing me, why would you want somebody on your team that doesn't even appreciate you, doesn't even like you? Why are you after my worship? Why are you trying to discredit me before God one minute, but then you want something from me? So you are willing to give up everything you have to get my worship. And so he stands in the front of the presence of God. And so when we look at Matthew, we, we, we look at John, we look at the woman at the well. We talked about this the last time. And so it says that the woman at the well was talking to Jesus, and she was having an encounter with God, even though she didn't even understand that's what she was doing. And so he's talking to her, and she says this, I know that the Messiah is coming. She started giving facts. I know the Messiah is coming. I know when he comes, we'll all go with him to glory. I know. That. And it's so interesting when you hear people go through the rigmarole of the word and they just tell you, Sparta, I know, I know, I know. I know he came in a body and he died and he got on the cross and he died on Calvary and he got up in three days. And then he, and you see it a lot during the holidays where churches fill up on Mother's Day. They fill up on Easter. They fill up on Christmas. And people light a candle and they feel so good going into the presence of God. And when we were in Italy, we went to this, this, uh, this temple that was just, a beautiful church and at the top of the church I'd never seen anything like it but at the top of the temple it was a hole in the top of the temple it was like a dome and then it was a hole and they said that what they would do on certain holidays that the priests would go to the top of the temple and they would drop rose petals down through the hole in the temple and the rose petals would just flutter down into the temple and they were saying that that was resemblance of the tongues of fire from the Holy Spirit falling on you so we went to a service there and it was cold because a whole top the whole section not the entire dome but a big section of the dome is like a big hole and they were saying that when they when they want to want to show people what the tongues of fire then they drop all these rose petals and they just start fluttering down and we went there and it was Christmas and it was beautiful and they had the candles and it was so religious and so incredible and then we went to the Vatican and we saw all and we just happened to go on a Sunday when we were at the Vatican where all the priests and the bishops and all of them were marching in and it was so powerful just to see 
them in their robes and, and all of the, uh, the, the accolades of religious uh, uh, ceremony and all of this was going on. And then God, I was asking God, I said, God, this is so phenomenal to see this. He said, but is there power attached to it? I'm not supposed to judge. He said, but you can have accolades all day long. You can go through the rigmarole. You can wear a robe. You can do this. You can do that. But if there is no power attached to it, what does it mean? So don't get caught up in the religious fanfare and miss the power attached to it, the reason why we do these things. And so I walked around the Vatican, and we, we were with a, a, a friend of ours who was Italian, and he showed us a room, and it was a prayer room that you go in, and there was a beautiful uh, statue carved on top of the door, and it was an angel, and it was holding this lifeless skeleton in its hand, and the, and the skeleton was hanging over, and it had a javelin going through it, if I remember correctly. And I was like, what? What kind of statue was that? He said, that is God conquering the spirit of death. And so people go in this little prayer room, and they pray for them to be healed of sickness. And so it was a picture of an angel holding death in its hand, saying, I've conquered this. I've, I've overcome this. And I was just so concerned. I was like, this is amazing. And so when you, I was watching some people just walking through the Vatican like they were just in a museum. They were just walking around. And I was like, do you understand all the power that's here? Do you understand when you're looking at the outside, it had all the disciples and the apostles around the city. And, and it showed Peter and, and Peter's a big statue in the front. But when we think about who Peter was, that he was a mess up. He was a, he, it was a throwaway. He was a castaway. But God said, on this type of person, I'm going to build my church. And so you see all these symbols, but do they mean anything? So the woman at the well was spouting off religious stuff, religious fanfare. And Jesus said, stop, stop, stop with all your talking. The person you're talking to, I am the Messiah. Do you understand you are encountering the Messiah and you see people who understand the flow of all this religious stuff, but do you understand that worship is having an encounter with the Messiah? And so he, he's talking to this woman, and he went all the way out of his way to have a conversation with her. And he says to her, I who am speaking to you, I'm he. She said, I know the, I know the Messiah is coming He's coming, and when he comes, he's going to do da-da-da-da. He said, you've missed it. I'm right here in front of you. And that is what worship is. Worship opens your eyes so that you can see God. You can have an encounter with him, and you see him right in the moment. How can you be there talking to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the holy one sent from God, God's only begotten son, and you can't even see him? So if you are not living worship, you are unable to see. If you're not living worship, you can't encounter him. And so he was saying, stop, look with all your stuff. I am here. The source of life is sitting right in front of you having a conversation. And she could have asked for anything. She could have asked for anything. She was right there with the king. And so many people are around Christ and by Christ. But if any man be in Christ, then you're transformed. You are renewed. You are shifted. You have an encounter with God, and you don't leave the same. And that's what worship looks like. When you are able to see, I am right here in the midst of the king of kings. pastor friend of mine wrote um, uh, on Facebook the other day, and he said, it's so sad when you go to a service and it's thousands of people there. Top speaker of the decade is there. Everybody is there, and you can feel the energy in the room is all powerful, and you're waiting for this great move of God, and nothing happens because people don't understand. It's not about a 1,000 people being in the room. It's not about this great, magnificent speaker. It's not about having the right singers in the room. It is about God being present. The Holy Spirit himself is in the room. 
It doesn't matter. He said all you need are two or three. When you two or three come together with the right agreement, with the power of God, I am right in the midst of them. I'm in the midst of them. But you have to ask yourself, can I see it? Can I see it? What does my worship look like? Do I have the ability to see? Do I have the ability to understand that worship requires time? Worship is abandonment with no shame. Worship is honoring the Lord with what we have. That is why you don't sit there and pick and choose. Well, I'll give this to God. I'll keep that. I'll give this to God. I'll keep that. No, I ain't doing this. I ain't doing that. I'm not. When you have been loved by the king, you're just like, Lord, take it all. I do. You take everything. I'll do anything. I'll sacrifice my agenda, my schedule, my trips, my call, this thing and that. Lord, I will do anything if it's big, if it's small. Lord, take all of me because you understand I am in the presence of the king. It's intimate and powerful all at the same time. So three things you can't be or you can't do if you live a lifestyle of worship. Three things. Number one, you can't be complacent. Number two, you can't be casual. And number three, you can't be common. Complacent. And, and we think we understand these words, but I want to look at these definitions. Complacent is to be uncritical, is to have uncritical satisfaction with oneself. I thought that was the most powerful definition. Uncritical satisfaction, meaning where you don't examine yourself. You get satisfied with wherever you are. It is being conceited and proud. When people are conceited, they feel like they've arrived and they don't feel like there needs to be any shifting. But the reason we come into the presence of God and we get in God's presence is because we go, I better check myself and make sure I don't need to shift anymore. I don't need to do anymore. So I have to be critical of myself, not judgmental, not destructive, not defaming of myself, but I have to check myself. I have to measure myself against God's presence and his power and who he is and say, God, do I look like you? If I get complacent, if I get dull, I won't encounter you. So I have to ask myself, how can I critically judge and understand if, I, if you are satisfied, Lord, with what you're getting from me? And then I can't be casual. Casual is to be relaxed and unconcerned. Well, it's, just, it's just church. It's just prayer time. It's just, no, it's more than just, you never use just with God. In all the ways that he is described, you never hear he's just God. He's just God of the angel armies. He's just the master of the universe. He's just the Lord of hosts. He's just the almighty. He's just Adonai. He is just. You never hear that. Matter of fact, usually you see the word Lord or God in the word. You don't even see a period or an exclamation mark next to the word because the word is so holy and powerful. Don't even put a, a period or an exclamation mark next to it. Just give space with the word because even writing his name is powerful. God, I can't be casual with you. I can't be too relaxed and unconcerned and dismissive with God. This woman was sitting there talking to the, the master, and I love it because it was tradition for Jews to go around Samaria. But he said, I have need to go through Samaria for one person. Not for, not for 10,000, not for a mega church, not for one person. I am going to go where nobody wants to go, and I will not be casual. And then the third thing is you don't want to be common. My, you, you don't hear it a lot, but my grandmother used to say, stop being common. We, we, they didn't, my uncle didn't like us to chew gum with our mouth open. We used to get popped in the mouth when we chewed gum, and then we had to ask to chew gum. You couldn't even just chew, chew gum. And I was like, why? Is it really that deep? You know, I was like, well, sit with your legs closed. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I'm like, why do we have so, don't be common. 
What does that mean? What are you talking about? Why did my great grandmother used to tell us you had to be fully dressed before you came to the, to the kitchen table in the morning? When we went to, our, to other people's house, to my aunt's house, we could eat Cheerios in the middle of the floor and have milk on the floor. She didn't care. But when you went to my great grandmother's house, everything was sacred. Everything was consecrated. Everything was nice. Everything you had to get dressed and you had to make sure you were presentable. Even when you came and ate scrapple and eggs for breakfast, everything because you were in the presence of, well, she was our elder. My great-grandfather lived in that house. Everything was precious. Everything had a story. Everything was clean. Every, there was nothing common about her house. We had rules and regulations. And guess what? We still wanted to go because we understood. And now as an adult, it's even more sacred because now we have an understanding of what we were experiencing. And there are certain things that Grandma Sadie did that we still do because she was not a common woman. She went through her jewelry and her shoes and her dresses with us. And she said, I don't want you guys to do this when I die. Let's go through it now. And she went through her closet and she was telling us about her, her brooches and her earrings. Now, when you wear, and when a lady wears her jewelry, she does X, Y, Z. Now, when you wear these shoes, you must wear stockings. And, when you, and she just had the most magnificent stuff in her closet because she was a lady. She wasn't common. Common is when anybody can get up and use it. Anybody, it, that's why people, that's why whorish people are common because they sleep with anybody. They don't uh, understand the sacredness of who they are. And so they approach themselves with that. They will show anything on their body because it's common. It's a lack of taste and refined and vulgar. Does that make sense? And so God is saying, do you understand? I made you in secret. So if I made you and fashioned you in secret, why do you let everyone see? Well, everybody's seen a chest before. Everybody's seen a woman's private parts before. And so when we were, I was at my office one day, and one of the ladies said, well, how do you teach your daughter how to call? What do you have your daughter call her private parts? And everybody was going through these little nicknames, and I said, it's her private. Yeah, but what's the name? Are you going to teach her the real name, the physical, technical name? Or are you going to make up a name? It is her private. I want her to understand it's private. It is for her eyes only. That is what we call it. Those are your private parts. They are private parts of you that nobody needs to just access casually. And one of the ladies was like, oh, I never thought about it. It's private. It is private. And so God said, when I made you, you I, was, I was sacred with how I put you together. And so in Psalm 139, it says he formed me in the depths of the earth. And he had his creative mind. And he walked around and he began to fashion you. And then he put your personality on you. And then he did the most unique thing. He finished you and left you unfinished. Psalm 138 says, it says, I will perfect everything that concerns you. So he purposely made you a defect so that he could constantly come back and tweak the project. So he saves you and then goes back and edits the file. He saves you and he goes back to make the difference. He saves you and he goes back and he harps over one segment of you because he doesn't want you to be common. He doesn't want you to be common. And so when we come and we have a lifestyle of worship, we come into God's presence and we understand he's holy. We are not complacent. We are not casual. We are not common. We understand we serve a holy God. Amen? Does that get it? You have to understand who you are. You have to understand. This, this, is, what, this is the most interesting thing. Um, I'm good. I, I, a friend of mine told me they were, they were talking about their church, and they were saying that all around the nation now, a church is, it's not just Hallel. So many churches are going through this. So many churches are going through this. Big churches, small churches, everybody's, everybody's saying the same thing. People don't want to worship. People don't want to worship. If we don't sing the right song, they leave. 
If we sing too long, they sit in the vestibule, and then they come in later. And so I understand that, the, that worship is becoming more and more casual and common because people don't understand, sir, that they're walking into the presence of God. If you understood the power that you were going in, you would rush to be there and just sitting there ready. Oh, I'm about to experience God. I'm about to have an encounter with God. I'm about to get into the presence of God. I'm about to have a conversation with the king. I understand the one who's coming is holy, but now I'm about to experience in him. And if it means listening to a song, if it means hearing the preached word, I don't want to miss a moment of God because anything could happen. Anything could happen. And so go with me to Habakkuk 3, two scriptures. Two scriptures and then we're done. Habakkuk 3, and I, I love this because um, some of you may know that we have the major prophets and then we have the minor prophets. And so the four major prophets would be Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, um, and uh, did, did I say it out of order? Um, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, excuse me, and Isaiah. And there's five prophetic books, but there's four prophetic, there are four major prophets, okay? And so one, one of the major prophets, Jeremiah, wrote two books. And so you have the book of Jeremiah, and then following that, you have the book of Lamentations, which are the laments, the sad displays from the prophet. He was called the weeping prophet. But Habakkuk was a minor prophet, and I love it because don't let the word minor fool you. It's just, they may not have been the major prophets. They may not have been, Habakkuk may have not have been Isaiah, but they still saw something, and God still spoke to them. And you notice that their books are a little bit smaller because it's one word. But man, you can get one word out of these minor prophets that can shift your whole existence. And so we know that Habakkuk is very, he is, he is most commonly known for Habakkuk 2, where he said, write the vision. The vision is for an appointed time, and though it tarry, wait for it. And so we are all familiar with that, the vision, and, and, we, and we have all these different translations. If it seems slow, wait for it. And so God spoke to Habakkuk. I love it because he was willing to challenge God, and he said, I will wait for you to answer me. God, why this? And why that? And why this? And so as a, as a, you can ha understand he wasn't common or casual with how he talked to God. He just had that type of relationship where he could talk to God. And so the, 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 the minor prophet Habakkuk said, God, when are you going to come? What are you going to do? And God says this. He, this is, listen to what he said. Listen to this. He said, God told him in Habakkuk 2, he said, write the vision, but he told him this, write it on a billboard, write it on a big display so that if anyone comes by, they will see the word of the God of the Lord and they will be able to run with it. They will be able to live according to that. And he said, but these things I plan won't happen right away. He said, they will not happen suddenly, but you got to wait for the word of God. You got to wait for it. But he said this, write it down so people can see. So people can see. So people can see. Write it down so people can see. And what were prophets called? Prophets are called seers. Because they go into the unseen realm, they go into the supernatural realm, and they see the plan of God. God gives them a glimpse of something bigger. And so we have dummied it down into, oh, I just had deja vu. Because what deja vu means is that I thought I've been here before. I've seen this situation before. Wait, I knew you were going to wear red boots because I've had this moment before. And what God is saying is sometimes I let your spirit man have glimpse a glimpse of the future, a glimpse of something to come. But then God tells us, you can naturally operate in this realm if you encounter me. If you live a lifestyle of worship, it says that the secrets of the Lord are with those that fear him. So when you fear God and respect him and you don't come complacent or casual or common, you can see things that other people can't. 
So you go, uh, uh, just like yesterday when she said, uh, Taiji said when she went to work, she knew already that she was going to get laid off. She was walking in and she said, ah, something doesn't feel right. I think I'm about to get laid off. And she goes and, and, and called her husband. She said, something tells, I think they're about to lay me off. And he said, what are you basing it on? She said, I don't know. I just believe I'm about to get laid off. And two minutes later, they came in her office and laid her off. God will prepare you if you walk with him. So when you worship God and you have that lifestyle, God is like, let me show you something. Let me show you. Let me let you see into the supernatural so that you will know what's about to happen in the natural. So God will take you outside of time into a supernatural realm, show you things that are to come, and then drop you back down into a natural realm. And you have peace because you just saw the plan of God unfolding. And so prophets, so that's why people want to call to soothsayers. That's why people want to go to a psychic because people are like, I just, if I can see it, then I'll be all right. And God is saying, no, unless you see it the way I show you, this is what the enemy will do. The enemy will take, he will, he will study your life. Listen, the enemy will study your life and he will try to give you a prediction based on how you've operated before. So you go into someone that sees without the anointing of God and they will give you predictions because they can predict because the enemy's like, oh, I've been walking next to them so long. I could tell you exactly how they're going to do. All I got to do is have such and such call them and they'll respond and they'll go over there and do this and do that, such and so, and, da, 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 and it'll happen. So it's a prediction based on behavior that is outside of the will of God. And so, yes, they can see. They can see. Because it says the enemy can, can see glimpses. He's been walking around and he sees your fleshly behavior. And so the doors to your flesh are what you see, what you hear, what you taste, what you touch, and what you feel. Uh, what is it? Sight, sight, smell, taste, hear, and, and touch. And so what God says, I want to take you into the supernatural realm and take one of those doors, the ability to see and the ability to hear, and I want to shift it for you. Does that make sense? And so what God says, I send my prophets to tell you what is to come so that you will see not with your eyes, but you will see above that. You'll, you'll be talking to someone. You will hear them say, I'm going to the store at five, but God will take you outside of time and tell you this is what they mean. What they're really going to do is they're going to go around the corner and do X, Y, and Z, and this is what's going to happen. And you'll go, okay, you know what? You can tell me that, but honestly, I know what's going to happen. God just showed me because I can see. When I'm with God, I can see. And so prophets were seers. And so Habakkuk said, God said, this is what I'm going to do, Habakkuk. I'm going to open your eyes so that you can see something else. And then I want you to write it down so people can run with it. And that is why the Bible is the inspired word of God, because it is written down for us to see it and do it and hear it. And we can't treat it casual, complacent, or common. And so look at this in Habakkuk 3. And this is, this, I, I might read a little long, but I want you to get the poet, I want you to hear the poet prophet paint a picture. And so he says, I have heard, he said, Lord, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, Lord, remember your mercy. And I love what he says in verse 3. In the New Living Translation, he says, I see God moving across the deserts from Edom and the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. And his brilliant splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with his what? His praise, his worship. His coming is as brilliant 
as the sunrise. And was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? He's thinking, talking about things of long ago. And he says, no, you were sending out your chariots of salvation and you marched across the land in anger and you trampled the nations in your fury. Verse 13, and you went out to rescue your chosen people and to save your anointed ones and you crushed the heads of the wicked and you stripped their bones from head to toe. And I love this, rays of light flashed from your hands where his awesome power is hidden. And so he said, light, can you imagine light darting off his hands and, and shooting out of his hand and that's where his power is hidden. And verse 17, and he says this, so though the fig tree doesn't blossom, and there is no fruit on the vine. Though the product of the oil fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet, say it with me, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the victorious God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army, and he makes my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk, not stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. So Habakkuk says, I have heard all about you. I heard about your works. And then he says, after I hear, you've opened up my ability to see. So God, I see you moving. And so he talks about him moving in the north and moving in the south. I see you. And then, Lord, I see how powerful you are. And you're splitting rivers and you cut. Revelation says he breaks through the clouds and he snatches crowns off of king's head. And he's wearing a robe dipped in blood and he's strapped with a sword. And so there's always a visual of who he is. And he says, I see you moving. And lightning is shooting from the palms of your hand. And lightning is shooting across the sky. And that people didn't know it. But the Lord just showed me that's where he hides his power. And he's strips my enemy so I don't have to fight him. God has already done it. And then he goes back over here and says the most random thing. And although the fig tree fails. So what he's saying is I just saw who he was. First I heard about him and then he flips and says and now I see him. So the first before you get involved in a relationship with God first you hear about it. So when we were children, sir, we had, our parents would take us to church and they were always studying the word and doing all these great things. So first we heard, but then we had to be in deep need so then we could see. You got it? You, you got it? First you hear and then you see. And so then the prophet Habakkuk said, now I see what you can do. And so I'm no longer looking at my situation. I am now looking in what the miraculous power of God can do. So he goes through the list. And he says, all these things are wrong. Because remember, he said, Lord, I heard about you. Will you help us in our deep need? So he is stating in the natural, I have a deep need. But oh, in the supernatural, I know what you're able to do. And so he says this, number one, the fig tree fails. Number two, there's no fruit on the vine. Number three, the olives aren't crushed. And number four, the fields aren't producing food. Number five, the flock is cut off from the fold. Number six, there's no cattle in the stall. So he said, there is a need, but I see beyond this. And he uses the most powerful word ever, although. So when you start a statement with although, and then you give the statement, and then you give a comma, the second phrase has more power. Although there's no fruit on the vine. Although there's no cattle. Although the herds aren't producing. Although my project hasn't come through. Although this, although this, the second statement is all the more powerful. Yet I will rejoice. So you walk through your situation, although this seat isn't filled, 
although there's five people in the room, although what does my supernatural eyesight show me, although I see power shooting from God's hands, why am I worried about what the, although we are behind on our rent, although this doesn't happen, although I've submitted my name 15 times and I still keep getting no, although I don't have a deal, although I haven't sold 50 million copies, although yet I will rejoice, I will go out of time and go into the unseen realm and look at what God is about to do. So I step out of where I am right now and I step into the supernatural realm of God and I live worship. I go into an encounter with God and I go beyond what I see. So my worship looks like a yet. My worship looks like a yet. My worship says don't preach to where you are now. My worship says preach to where you're going. And what does my faith say? My faith says that God is able. My faith says he was able to do exceedingly and abundantly and above all. My faith says the seats are full. My faith says it doesn't matter what people say about our church. If we're called by God, he will do extraordinary things. My faith says to keep on standing in prophetic worship. My faith says although the fig tree fails, yet I will rejoice. And look at what this word rejoice means, because this is, this is what is so power. Look at, look at what rejoice means. Rejoice is based out of the French word rejoice. And it, this is, it has a couple meanings. It means to express in intensive force. It means to experience joy. It means to cause joy to come into your situation. And then the fourth thing it means, it means to see joy. So he says, although these things aren't happening, yet I will see joy. I don't see what's going on, I see joy. I don't see happiness, I see joy. I will cause joy to come into my situation. Look at what it means. It means intensive, expressing intensive force. So with great force, I push my way out of where I am. Look at your situation right now. If you have a piece of paper, use your cell phone and write down your although. What is your although? What is your although? Write it down. Get a good picture. Write it down. Because a lot of people say, well, don't talk about what's happening. If you have a cold, don't say I have a cold. Say I am healed in Jesus. No, no, no. Write down your although. Because this is what we, although these things are happening, yet I will rejoice. I will, I will press myself into seeing joy. And the only way I can see what joy looks like is to go into the supernatural realm. The prophet said, Lord, I heard, and now I see. So in order for me to rejoice, you can't rejoice unless you have supernatural vision. That's what worship looks like in me. It means, yep, people talk about us. We don't have a lot of people. Somebody was talking about the church, and they said, well, how many people do they have over there? They don't have that many people. Girl, one time I went, it was 50. One time I went, it was five. Although the fig tree fails, what does my supernatural eyesight see? Write down your, although, although, although my bank account says negative, I will rejoice. Although the project isn't finished and it's not getting the recognition, I will rejoice. Although I will see past, I will cause myself to have joy. And how do I cause myself to see joy? I have to see the invisible God. And that's why I love it because Paul said, Paul, man, he wrote that thing. And I'm like, I heard somebody quoting the scripture and they quoted it wrong. Paul says, he says this, he says, and now to the king. He goes through all his life, and then he goes, but now to the king, immortal, invincible. And I, and I was like, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says. It says, now to the king, immortal and invisible. You can't see God unless you have supernatural visible vision. That's what Paul was saying. And now to the king, invisible. He is invisible, but he's mighty. God doesn't, he's not common. He doesn't let everybody see him. 
God is bigger than you see with your natural eye. You have to encounter God. And so Moses was standing there, and God said, take off your shoes. Even where you walk near me is holy. He said, don't sit here and encounter me and think that you can come at me any kind of way. Take off your shoes. Now bow before the king. Do you know who I am? And so he said, if you really see me, then you will know me. And so he told Abraham, he said, this is what I'm going to do. He said this to Abraham. He said, how will people know? Abraham was talking to God. He said, how will people know you're with me? You said I'll be blessed. How will they know? He said, I will cause my goodness to go past you. I will, because if God's goodness just walks past you, you will have a supernatural afterglow on you. And so he says, but I'm too, I love it. God said, I am too big, sir, for you to see with your natural eyes. And so he told Abraham, I'm going to have to hide you and push you in the cleft of a rock, and then I'm going to walk past you real quick. That's how powerful I am. When you experience God, you can't even look. He said, I will, you will be too bright. It'll be too bright for you to see with your natural eyes. So just turn your back real quick and let my shadow walk past you and the glory of God will be on you. That's how mighty he is. You have to see God in a whole new way. You don't, God said, you want a calf? People were like, oh, God's not here. He's taking too long to get a word from God. Let's just turn in our jewelry and make a little calf. God says, a calf? You want a building? You want something, you want something minor? You want God to just give you a check for 5000 when he can give you unlimited resources? Think about what you're asking God for. And that's why in Isaiah, he said, ask God for the moon. He has lightning rods coming out of the palm of your hand. He can do anything. But I double-dog dare you to ask God for the invisible. I serve the invisible God. And it says that Abraham walked with the invisible. He saw him who was invisible. I don't see a, a, a half-empty building. That's not what I see. In my spirit, I see greater things. I see something that only generations can handle. I don't see anything in my lifetime. I see beyond my life and to my children's 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 children because I have supernatural vision. Does that make sense? You got to see God. God said, I will let my glory pass by you. And the residue of me walking past you will let other people know God's with him. You don't touch him. God's with him. God's with him. Moses came down off the mountain, and he had to put a, a scarf over his face because God was so on him. God was just on him. And Habakkuk said, God, I've heard, but now I see you. I see the invisible God. One scripture in the Old Testament, when God was first making himself known, people worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars and this thing and that thing. <laughs> they said, this is just the unknown God. We don't, how can you contain him? What word do you call him? He's just the unknown God. He's the invisible God. He is a force that no one can reckon with. He is amazing. And then he wrapped himself in flesh and called himself his son. And he walked among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of the most high Man, Jesus walked up on people and while they were working. He said, follow me. That's power when you just, people don't even know you. But you just, they, they, they follow you because you said, walk with me. So I love when my bishop used to tell me that I'd be walking and he would just walk in. Teresa, walk with me. And he wouldn't stop and wait. He would just keep walking. And I'd be stumbling and knocking that stuff over just to walk with the man of God. 
And he would tell me stuff that even today, as we're building this church, sometimes I'll be sleeping. I can hear the man of God in my ear, and I can hear him. I remember one time we were in church, and Bishop was up on the platform, and a crazy man came out of the built, came off the street, and came running up into the man of God, and he was running up the aisle, and he told, he said, Bishop Mary, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you. And he and, the, and, and Bishop just stood there, flat-footed, didn't move. And this man came and tried to tackle him, and he may have shook a little bit, but the men from the church jumped up and tried to tackle the man. And Bishop said, "Repent now." or pay with God later. But he wasn't, he didn't flinch, he wasn't scared, and I was like, what kind of power is that? Where somebody can run and try to willfully take your life, and he kept telling him, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna kill you, and the man of God said, no, you're not. I don't die until God said I'm dying, I'm not dying today. You will not kill me, but you need to be frightened for your life. You need to be able to see God in a supernatural way, and walk with God, walk with God. You have to see joy. Rejoice means to see joy, to cause joy to come. Yet will I rejoice. Yet I will trust in God. Yet I won't let go. Yet I won't preach to where I am right now. I will speak prophetically to my future. Yet. Psalm 15 said, God, who can worship in your sanctuary? The writer was like, how do we as casual and common and complacent as we get, God, who? Who can stand in the refuge and the shelter of your house in your holy hill? Who? Because remember Habakkuk said, he makes my feet like hinds feet to climb into the high places of God. You can't be down at the entrance way. You gotta go into a higher place and a deeper place with God. And I remember a friend of mine said, oh, that's right, you're holy. Thank you for the compliment. You intended that to be a, a letdown, but if you understood what holiness was, you would get it. And so Psalm 15, Lord, who? Who can worship in your holy hill? Anyone who leads a blameless life, who is in common. When you're truly sincere, when you refuse to slander others, when you don't listen to gossip and you never harm your neighbor, when you speak out against sin, you criticize those committing it, when you commend the faithful flowers of the Lord, when you keep a promise even if it ruins you, when you don't crush a debtor with high interest rates, when you refuse to testify against the innocent despite the bribes that were offered, such a man will stand firm forever. That's what worship looks like. Yet will we rejoice. What does worship look like? Worship looks like a yet. I'm not where I wanna be, but I see something so powerful in God, yet I'm talking to the king. Satan, shut up. I already know what God is saying to me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have to live worship, Lord. Lord, sometimes we, we hear about you, and when we hear about you, we run from you because it seems too overwhelming. God really be that? And then you say, you know what? If I gave you my only son, if I wrapped myself up in a body and I came and then I was willing to die on a cross, why wouldn't I ask you to give up your life? What will worship cost you? It'll cost you everything. What will worship require? It will require getting rid 
of common mess in your life. What will worship look like? It will require you keeping your word, even if it hurts you. What will worship look like? It'll look like you going outside of time and looking into a deeper place with God. What does worship look like? Worship looks like being patient before the almighty king because you don't want a microwave blessing that gets hard and raggedy real quick. What does worship look like? It looks like sacrifice. It looks prophetic. It doesn't look like where you are. It always looks into the future. I have plans, says the Lord. You told the prophet Jeremiah, tell the people, settle down right here. Right here where they are, where it doesn't even look like a lot is happening, where they are in bondage. But I have a plan to prosper you and to give you hope in the future. Yes, right where you are, when things aren't going the way, although the fig tree fails. God, I love that you always operate. You always operate against the grain. People can examine us and say, well, the fig tree's failing and there's no fruit on their vine and they don't, they're not rich, they, they look broke, so I'm not following them. And God says, although the fig tree fails. Where I am is not where I'm going. When people look at you and they see the car you drive or the house you live in and the temporal things you have, they're not looking supernatural. Because the true state of a man is what is going on in the inside. And that's where you find confidence, where you find power. Lord, I don't, I don't even know how to properly translate what you've shown me, but you wrapped it up in one word, yet. Lord, no matter what the season this ministry is going through, yet, yet, yet. Look at the list you wrote down, and if you didn't write it down, I suggest that before we close out this prayer, you write down some of your although, although you're not married, although you're not making the money you want, although you need to write down at the end of it all and say, yet I will rejoice, yet I will see joy, yet I will actively and intensely go after joy. I will, ex intensive force, I will go after and I will experience the miraculous. I will experience the miraculous. I will experience the miraculous. My worship looks like a yet. My worship. My life of worship. Some of the most powerful people I know, it's because of their worship. Thank you, Lord. Before you go back to living life as usual, I dare you to not ask God for forgiveness, but I dare you to repent. Because repent means to change your direction, to change your course of action, to do something different. Stop trying to see a visible God because the real God, the true and living God is invisible. Lord, go before us as we leave this place. You provide the sacrifice.
sacrifice. And you provide, you provide all the time from your unlimited resources. Just look at the scripture to go for the week. Although the fig tree fails, the Lord is my personal bravery, my invincible army. He makes my feet to walk, to walk. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Even though even though, even though the fig tree fails, even though, even though the fields are empty and barren, even though things are dying in my field, even though my barns are empty, doesn't mean God's forgotten me. It means I have to have a yet. Yet I will rejoice and I will be joyful. I will be full of joy. As we dismiss, we're just going to ask our musicians who are just being led of God to just pray, play. And we're just going to flow out. Mm -hmm. I can sense it. glory of the Lord has filled this place. I can sense it. I can sense it. I've been changing. The glory of the Lord has filled this place. The glory of the Lord has filled this place. If you know God, you can sense it. I can sense it. Something's changing. The glory of the Lord is in this place. I can sense it. I can sense it. Something's changing. The glory of the Lord is in this place. changing the glory of the Lord is in this place make us a miracle God make us a miracle God you make us a miracle God I can sense it I can sense the glory of the Lord is in this place. I can sense it. I can sense it. Something's changing. The glory of the Lord is in this place. I can sense it. 
something's changed.